Good morning, friends. Are you on a low-salt or a no-salt diet? Well, if you are, maybe you need to hear these words of Jesus in Matthew 5:13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Now, these words have become a proverb in the English language. If somebody is uh, genuine or useful or honest or straightforward, uh, we often say they're the salt of the earth type person. Now, what did Jesus mean by this? Well, understand that salt was one of the most common substances in the ancient world. Roman soldiers were paid in salt and would revolt if they didn't get their ration. Our English word salary comes from the Latin salarium, which means salt money. Our expression that man is not worth his salt, which I can remember my grandpa using that phrase quite often, it reminds us of the high value salt had in biblical times. But let's go a step further. Salt really has five primary uses. First, salt seasons food. Now, almost everything we eat has some salt in it. Even cake and pie has a pinch of salt. Second, salt preserves. Now, there's no doubt its main use in Jesus' day. Salt retards spoilage. It doesn't prevent the process of decay, but it slows it down and prevents its spread. I mean, meat left to itself will spoil. Cure the meat with salt, and it will last a long time. And third, salt stings. We speak of pouring salt on an open wound. In that sense, salt is an antiseptic that first stings and then heals. It kills some types of bacteria. Fourth, salt gives strength. Without it, your body quickly weakens. That's one reason the Romans gave their soldiers salt. They, needed, they knew putting salt on their vegetables would give them needed strength. And fifth, salt creates thirst. That's why we put it on potato chips and pretzels. It, it creates thirst and causes you to crave something to drink. Now, we are not the honey of the world. We are the salt of the earth, and there's a big difference. So let's kind of shove nutrition aside just for a moment. How does this apply to the followers of Jesus? Well, we are to be the salt flavoring in a tasteless world, and we are to be the salt that preserves a decaying world. Now, Jesus had no illusions about this world because he knew its true character. It is like a piece of rotten meat putrefying more and more each day. On every hand, we have the most advanced technology and every day new breakthroughs in medicine, science, communication, and mass production. And yet at the same time, the moral climate grows darker and darker each day. So let there be no mistake. We live in a morally decadent society. It's kind of like a piece of meat left all day in the sunshine. The decay is slow at first, and then suddenly the whole thing is rotten. But what does it take to arrest the spread of evil? Salt. That's what Jesus was talking about. Being salt means taking a stand for truth even when it isn't popular. Now, here's the exciting part. It doesn't take much salt to do the job. Just a little bit in the right place will do the trick. Perhaps you remember the story of Abraham praying for God to spare Sodom because his nephew Lot lived there. You can go back and read that story in Genesis 18. He said, Lord, if I can find 50 righteous people, will you spare the city? And the Lord said, yeah. 
So Abraham said, well, Lord, if I can just find 45 people in the city, will you spare it? The Lord says yes again. So he tried 40, and the Lord said yes. Then he, he, he went down to 30 righteous people in the whole city, and then how about 20? <clears throat> and God continued to say, well, I'll spare it for 20. And then Abraham says, Lord, what if I can only find 10? And God replied, I will spare it for the sake of 10 righteous people. Now think of it, a whole city saved because only 10 people were righteous. Now remember, Sodom was a thoroughly wicked place. It was evil through and through, yet God would have spared it for 10 righteous people. As it turned out, Abraham couldn't find 10 righteous people. So God prepared to destroy the city. But before he could, Lot and his wife and his two daughters had to leave. God wouldn't destroy the city while the righteous were still there. Now, it doesn't take much salt to do the job. I mean, according to one uh, sociologist, the governing values of a whole culture may be changed when 2% of its people have a new vision. Did you get that? All you need is 2%. You can change an entire culture. Now, that applies to your church, your classrooms, your workplace, your neighborhood. It applies to every village, uh, town, and city in the world. See, it's time for the salt to get out of the shaker and into the soup. Now, there are always reasons for salt to stay in the shaker. You know, I don't like the soup. It's hot in there. There there are potatoes floating around, carrots and spinach. Uh, I just saw a huge piece of meat float to the top. If I go into the soup, I'm going to disappear. So no thank you. I kind of like it here in the shaker. I fit in. I'm comfortable here. And all the other pieces of salt look just like me. I think I'll just stay where I'm at. But friends, that's not where salt belongs. Salt was made for the soup. As long as the salt stays in the shaker, it can't do any good. But when the salt goes into the soup, two things happen. One, the salt dissolves, and two, the character of the soup is changed forever. Now, you may disappear, but your saltiness will change your world for the better. Salty Christ followers can change a classroom. They can change a neighborhood. They can change an office, a company, even a nation. So get ready, salty saints, if I can call you that. Out we go into the world for the glory of God. You've heard me say it any number of times. We are not called to be condemners. We are called to be gospelers. And guess what? That's shaking salt into this world. But, and there is always a but, it's not the whole story. Listen to the next three verses here. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and praise your Father who is in heaven. Now, the dictionary defines light as a source of illumination. Now, that provides the key to our definition. So what does light do? Well, it penetrates, it reveals, it exposes. Now, a lot of people really kind of hate being alone in the darkness, especially when we're in a strange place. I mean, you lie in the bed trying to go to sleep when suddenly you hear an odd sound in the darkness. You strain to see, but you can only make out vague shapes. Like darkness kind of distorts reality. Everything looks different. It's only when you turn on the light that you see things as they really are. Now, note the simple application in verse 16. Let your light shine before men. And the key is in the little phrase, before men, before people. I mean, if you turn on a light in an empty room, it it drives the darkness away, but no one will see it. Likewise, you can live the Christian life in secret, 
but no one is going to be helped. If your light is going to make a difference, it must shine before people. I mean, somebody's got to see the light before it can do any good. And Jesus said two things would happen when you shine your light. First of all, others will see your good deeds. Now, the word good means attractive or beautiful or lovely. Jesus is saying people will be attracted by the beauty of your life. And others will be drawn to Jesus by the way you live. Now, when you say a good word for Jesus, when you stop and smile at a friend, that's a good deed. When you send an encouraging text to someone going through a hard time, or when you uh, bake a pie, and by the way, I like coconut cream, and give it to a neighbor or a friend, or, or when you stop by the hospital to check on someone, or when you stop to help your supervisor get their car started, all those are good deeds that attract people to Jesus. This is really evangelism backed up by a winsome personality. I hope you noted that Jesus said, when they see your lovely ways. Now, he could have said, when they hear your great preachers, or when they sit in your beautiful churches, or when they clap for your praise team, or when they read your statement of faith. Now, he could have said that, but he didn't. He simply said, when they see the way you live. Now, a second thing happens when you shine your light before others. They give God the credit. Verse 16 says, they praise your Father who is in heaven. Now, did you note that the word your is used three times in this verse? Your light, your good deeds, your Father in heaven. When you let your light shine before men, they glorify your Father in heaven. Now, that's how much influence we have. We can point people to God. We can lead them out of darkness into light. It's wonderfully simple. We do the shining, and God gets the credit. And here's why. Light does not call attention to itself. It just provides illumination so that other things can be seen as they really are. You know, when people see a beautifully lit city, they, they don't discuss the lights. They talk about maybe the genius of the architect. When our, our light shines to those around us, they see the beauty of our good works. The darkness falls away, and God gets the credit. Now, I can't imagine anything higher or greater. We have in our hands enormous influence for good. We are the light of the world. We can make an eternal difference to the people around us. As they see the beauty of our lives, they'll be attracted to the Jesus we preach and teach and live. And as they see the light in us, they will see the one who gives us the light. And they will be attracted to our Savior, and God will get the credit. Let me tell you the most exciting fact about all of this. If you are a Christ follower, you are already salt and light right where you live. You don't need a Bachelor of Salt degree or a Doctor of Light degree. You have everything you need right now. You're, you're salt. So, friends, get out of the shaker and into the soup. You're light, so crawl out from underneath that bushel basket and let it shine. Now, I spoke earlier of the moral decay going on all around us. I, I don't need to go into detail. If you know read any of the news, you know what's going on today in today's world. And a lot of people are despairing, but I, I want to tell you, don't despair. See, the darker the night, the brighter the light shines. When the world is at its worst, the people of God should be at their best. One, another way of saying it is, we were made for days like this. Now, I began by saying the church has lost its influence in our society because we've neglected to be salt and light in the world. 
Now, this world desperately needs light, but we have often hidden under the bowl. In the meantime, the world has gone from bad to worse. Well, what will have to happen for us to become salt and light once again in the world? Allow me just to suggest two ways. There's, there's probably many more. But here, here's one way. We, we must become purifying agents who hinder the spread of evil. We need to learn to take the hard right against the easy wrongs. And two, we need to illuminate the spiritual darkness around us by the boldness of our speech and by the beauty of our life. Now, don't be deceived. It's not going to be easy. The world doesn't want salt and light, but it desperately needs it. The world won't give you a medal of honor for joining the salt and light revolution, but you ought to join up anyway. So here are two simple commitments that you and I can make. First, there is the salt commitment. I will rock my world with God's truth. Now, that may mean speaking up at the place you work or live. It may mean refusing to get involved in certain, you know, manly, worldly traditions. It may mean taking some criticism for your faith. It may mean taking an unpopular stand on public issues. But remember, salt stings, and then it cleanses. And second, there would be the light commitment, to be bold and beautiful so that others can see Jesus in me. Now, that certainly involves deeds of everyday kindness. You need to roll up your sleeves and get involved with hurting people. It may mean going out of your way to help a friend. It, it no doubt means openly identifying yourself as a Christ follower. It will probably cost you some money and some time. Now, remember, the primary function of light is to reveal things as they really are. When you've done your job, people won't talk about you. They'll talk about Jesus. Now, friends, we can't save the world, but we can make a difference. We can't do everything, but we can do something. And what we can do, we ought to do. That's what being salt and light is all about. The world is dark. And sadly, it seems to be getting a little bit darker. So it's really time to shine the light. It's time to be salty saints and bright light believers. Jesus is calling. The question is, will you join the salt and light revolution. Lord Jesus, grant that we would not be even slightly disappointed by the condition of the world. You have made us for times like these. Help us to be salt and light for you. Give us a new vision of the difference we can make in our world. In Jesus' name, amen. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion. God bless.